we come back to our discussion on Roman Catholicism, guys, um, I, I just want to remind you because I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to in any way leave with you the impression that I have some personal vendetta. I don't. This is not designed to be a cheap shot. It was spawned, uh, I think I've said before, um, as a result of this trip, to, this visit to Israel and some things that we saw that were just highly upsetting. And so I came back and thought, well, I, I want to clarify some things concerning Roman Catholicism and Islam. And we'll, uh, we're going to spend one more night on Mary uh, and then a couple of more nights and then a couple of three nights on Sola Scriptura and then we'll turn to Islam and close out the um, this semester with Islam with three or four weeks on that. So that's where we are. Last week I introduced you to several names, uh, several titles that are associated with Mary. Um, I did use a word um, that I I could write up on that board, although it, it sometimes... I mean, the word is simply Mariolatry. Um, that is... And an idolatry of Mary, and it is a it is a word that is used frequently in Protestantism to describe the position of the Roman Catholic Church. And tonight, I, I simply want to give you the grounds for that claim. Um, I told you uh, that the the um, some of the things about Mary, her perpetual virginity, um, her assumption, her immaculate conception. All uh, were first voiced in a document um, that was entitled the Proto-Evangelion of James. Now, which James, we don't know, but that's where it got its first mention. But by no means is that the only place where these things are mentioned. And so that's what I want to give you tonight is a little uh, history of how it all uh, came about and um, and read you some of the quotes from some of these do- these documents that are terribly alarming. <laughs> um, I'll try to read them slow so you can be as alarmed as I am. But um, guys, um, uh, I think you know historically what the Council of Trent was. The Council of Trent was called by the Roman Catholic Church to respond to this onslaught that had been produced by Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. As a result of uh, Martin Luther and what he did in the 95 Theses and all that business, the Roman Catholic Church responded by calling the Council of Trent uh, and at the Council of Trent, um, just part of the work of the Council of Trent, primarily it was aimed at uh, the whole doctrine of justification by faith, but uh, included in the, in the Tridenti doctrine is um, the Feast of the Holy Rosary was instituted at Trent along with devotion to Mary being uh, highly encouraged. Now that was in the that was in the document known as the the uh, the Council of Trent. Now that was in fifteen uh, uh, 1540s, fifteen I think in fifteen forty five to fifteen sixty three. So you you we went from this document from James at, to to the Council of Trent. Then in um, in the late eighteenth century, I I, I want to say it's seventeen ninety six, a document was written entitled "The Glories of Mary." And by the way, you can still buy that document. It's at Amazon at this very minute, uh, The Glories of Mary. It's written by a, um, a man by the name of Bishop Alfonso de la Gori. And I want to read you some excerpts from that document. But before I do, I want to read you something that came from the editor's note. It is It has gone through four printings. That is, this, this, um, this Glories of Mary book has gone through four printings, the most recent of which was in 1931. 
But in that fourth reprint of The Glories of Mary, the editor of um, the book uh, provided this introduction. And I want to read it to you. It's brief. Everything that our saint, that would be Bishop Alfonso, everything that our saint has written is, as it were, a summary of Catholic tradition on the subject that it treats, Mary. It is not an individual author. It is, so to speak, the church herself that speaks to us by the voice of her prophets, her apostles, her pontiffs, her saints, her fathers, her doctors of all nations and ages. No other book appears to be more worthy of recommendation in this respect than the glories of Mary. Now, guys, I read that for a purpose. I mean, did you get that? Uh, no other book is should be more recommended than this one, The Glories of Mary. And it is not simply the expression of one author, according to this editor. It is the sum, it is the summation of the church herself speaking to us through the combined voices of her prophets and her doctors and her saints and her apostles and pontiffs, etc., etc. Now, that's the introduction to this book. So that's what it says about the book that you're about to read called The Glories of Mary. This is it. Nothing could be more highly recommended than this book. Now, out of that book comes these statements. She is truly a mediatrice of peace between sinners and God. Sinners receive pardon by Mary alone. Mary is our life. That's page 82 and 83. By the way, if the word mediatrice is new to you, it's new to me too. It's just the female version of the word mediator. (laughs) So it's just the female mediator is the mediatress, and she is the mediatress. She's the mediator of peace between sinners and God. She is our life. Mary is our life. It gets worse. I'm quoting, no one can enter heaven unless by Mary as through a door. Another, I've got about six, just out of this book. The Holy Church commands a worship peculiar to Mary. Many things are asked, that's page 130. Many, Many things are asked from God and are not granted. They are asked from Mary and are obtained, for she is even queen of hell and sovereign mistress of the devils. Got two more. Mary is called the gate of heaven because no one can enter that blessed kingdom without passing through her. Last one. The way of salvation is open to none 
otherwise than through Mary. And since our salvation is in the hands of Mary, he who is protected by Mary will be saved. He who is not will be lost. Now, guys, um, those five uh, quotes could could be somewhat summarily dismissed if it was written by a crank. I read you that editor's note because this is a book that, according to the editor, is the most highly recommended book for Roman Catholics to read, The Glories of Mary. It is still available today. You can go buy it this evening if you want it. But out of that book, you're going to find these things like, no one can enter heaven unless by Mary. Now, what in the world is that? I mean, it's not, it's not a small thing, guys. This has to do with the entrance into heaven or hell. And according to these five statements, one, two, three, four, five, five statements, it is all done through Mary. Now, ladies and gentlemen, surely the most the most casual acquaintance with the Christian gospel, you will see how radically contradictory that is to the gospel. So that was in uh, that was written in 1796, but its uh, its most latest reprinting was done in 1931. But it's been around for 150 years or so. No, no, longer than that, 200 years. Um. Now, adding to that. She is called the co-redeemer with Christ by Pope Benedict XV in 1920, I think. And that was affirmed by Pope Pius XI in 1923. That is two popes calling Mary a co-redeemer with Christ. Um... This Bishop Alfonso, in another book, and he's got four in print that I saw on Amazon today, but um, he teaches there that Mary is the savior of sinners and that outside her there is no salvation. But in his effort to do that, he, he, has, a, he has a piece of imagery um, that he's using to explain his position. He describes an imaginary scene in which a man burdened with sin sees two ladders hanging from heaven with Christ at the head of one and Mary at the other. This man attempts to climb the ladder at which Christ is the head, but when he sees the angry face, he falls back defeated. As he turns away despondent, a voice says to him, Try the other ladder. He does so, and to his amazement, he ascends easily and is met at the top by the Blessed Virgin Mary, who then brings him into heaven and presents him to Christ. The teaching is, and I quote, what son would refuse the request of his mother? Now, again, guys, uh, I think that leaves very little um, room for misunderstanding what is being taught. I mean, it, it, she is being depicted as a 
as a mediator between God and sinners, which is completely antithetical to anything that is um, that is Protestant or gospel-esque or what I would say even biblical, but we'll save that for another night. Now, um, those are those are reasons, those quotes that I've given you, that has given rise to the charge that Roman Catholicism is guilty, guilty of Mariolatry. It is based on statements such as those that I've read you. Now, I introduced three items last week. The Immaculate Conception, the Perpetual Virginity, and the Assumption of Mary. Um, I mentioned those, and I mentioned some articles that I brought with me, and I, I brought them back with me if you want to if you want to look at them. But there are articles on those those subjects. Um, but l- let me see if I can't um, um, give you some biblical input about th- those things, at least two of them. This immaculate conception thing, which is often confused with the Virgin Birth of Christ. Immaculate conception, I've said this three or four times already, immaculate conception does not have anything to do with Jesus. It has to do with Mary, and immaculate conception holds that she was free from original sin. Um, um, That whole position, uh, well, uh, um, in fact, the idea that she was conceived without original sin was itself... Confirmed in a 14th century apparition from Mary, a visit from Mary to Saint Bridget of Sweden, uh, and it is set forth in the, as the official doctrine by Pope Pius the Ninth on December the eighth of 1854. In, in 1854, that is that Mary herself was conceived without original sin. Now, um, but guys. Go with me in the New Testament to the to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and um, this is a key statement a, a key statement in terms of the Protestant position on Mary. Um, it's in the song that is called the Magnificat. You know, the book of Luke Luke opens up with a couple of songs. One is the Magnificat, and the other is the um, the Nunc Dimittis. The Nunc Dimittis is is um, is sung by Zacharias, and the nunc dimittis is just is just the Latin term, which means now let me depart. But you remember that one. But the the, the Magnificat is sung by Mary. It's a it's a piece of poetry. It's called a song. I, I don't know whether it was actually put to music, um, but it it was it comes as the result of her visit to her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. You remember that. And then Mary sings this thing called the Magnificat, um, and it starts in verse 46. And I just want to read you a little bit of it, um, actually the opening verses. Um, verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary sings... And rejoices in the fact that she has a Savior. Well, why does she need one? If indeed she is free from um, sin. 
Another hint, guys, is found in chapter 2. Remember after uh, Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph uh, present Jesus in the temple uh, where they run into um, Zacharias and Anna. Uh, Anna's the prophetess, and uh, I think that's the guy's name is um, Zacharias. Um, and, and, you know, Zechariah. Zechariah. Actually, that's earlier. But this is where she, they run into Anna, and um, look at verse uh, 22, uh, 2.22. Um, it presented him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice <clears throat> according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, what's that all about, guys? Mary and Joseph come to the temple and they offer two pigeons. Uh, it is in response to a piece of Levitical legislation that is outlined for you in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Now, listen to this. <clears throat> and when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter... She shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer before the Lord and make atonement, and make atonement for her. Um, then she shall be clean from her flow of blood. This is the law of who bears a child, either male or female. The woman is to bring a sacrifice as a sin offering. And that is what Mary is doing in Luke chapter 2. She is bringing an offering that is that is prescribed in the Levitical law for sin. Well, why is that necessary? If um, if Mary has avoided is somehow avoided sin, that's what Protestantism would say in reply to the whole idea of immaculate conception. As to her perpetual virginity, um. You can turn, if you like, to Matthew chapter 13. That is, that she was a virgin when, when Christ was born, but she stayed a virgin the entirety of her life. This is in Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 56, uh, where you find this. Um, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty words? Is not this carp, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? It appears that Jesus not only had brothers, but Mary was fairly uh, fertile that she had several sons and several daughters. And yet, the Roman Catholic Church holds to a perpetual virginity. And as I said to you last week, one of those brothers that is mentioned here is James, is considered the author of the uh, one of the epistles in the back of the New Testament known as James. Um, and if you'll check out your Bibles, it'll tell you that. That um, the author of James is considered to be the half-brother of Jesus, this person mentioned right here in in Matthew 13, 455. Now, as to Mary's assumption, now do you know what that means? What that word means? The assumption is that she was bodily risen to heaven. Um that came, that position came, <laughs> came to light on November the 1st of 1950 by Pope Pius XII. 
Now, I would love to turn to a passage and show you something about um, that would overturn that she ascended into heaven. But nothing is said in the New Testament about her death and burial. So I have nothing to tell you. This much I can say, however, there is not a shred of biblical proof for her assumption or her perpetual virginity or her immaculate conception. Not one shred. But, as I, as I read you last week, um, it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be in the scriptures because that's an old foolish Protestant idea. Um, that, that the Bible is the only basis of authority. I read you that, that, um, that last week. I don't need to read that to you again, do I? Um, uh, when the church says something is true, that's a guarantee that it is. If you'd like to see that, it's right here in this document. That it comes from a uh, Roman Catholic website, by the way. Um, so, we have all, we have these documents and statements by popes that she is to be worshipped. We have some biblical evidence that the things that are held to are false. The last part of this whole thing, uh, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, guys, because, um, I mean, very honestly, it tests one's credulity. It, um, it It is so fanciful to be absolutely almost laughable, and I and I'm not trying to make fun. I'm not. I don't want to do that. I don't want you to hear me doing that. But it has to do with the numerous apparitions of the Virgin Mary um, that have taken place over the years. Okay. You got a pen and a pencil? You got a pen and a piece of paper? I want you to take down this number. 1-800-345-MARY. When you get home tonight, call it. I dare you. I called it. I called it twice today to make sure that I had heard it right. Again, I'm not trying to be ugly, folks. But did you know that there have recently been uh, appearances of Mary with Jesus... In Flushing Meadows, New York. And she has an urgent message for the world. You, you'll hear the same recording that I heard. Um, and But to get that message, you know, it's an urgent message. But what you need to do to get it is to leave your name and address. And they'll get it to you, you know, when they can. Or it's urgent now. But did you realize, it's not even, it's not even appalling to me that Mary's showing up in Flushing Meadows. What is appalling to me is that Jesus is along with her. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And when he comes back, he's coming back to close up shop. The notion, I mean, it's not laughable, ladies and gentlemen. It is tragic. Call it 1-800-345-MARY. I'll give you a little bit of this, um, and we'll quit. Oh, no, I've got to do that. Um, 
Everybody's heard of, um, I don't know how you pronounce it. I think it's Lourdes, France, or Lourdes, France. 1858, a 14-year-old girl, Bernadette, Bernadette uh, Subirius, heard a rustling in the bushes, and she went over to the bushes, and she found a girl her own age, Mary. Um, and today, millions um, head to Lourdes, France to hear something from Mary. Um, did you know this? That the Pope that was before this one, the Polish guy, his name was Pope John Paul II, um, that was very involved in, um, in Lech Walesa's movement in Poland. He was from Poland. You remember that that, that whole uh, big movement um, uh, that ultimately brought down the the, the wall in 1989. Uh, Pope John Paul II was um, was there was an attempted uh, assassination on May the 13th, 1981. Um, Pope John Paul II noted that the attack occurred on the anniversary of the 1917 church-appointed apparition at Fatima, Portugal, and he credited his survival to the intercession by the Blessed Virgin. When communism fell in the Eastern Bloc in 1989, which included Poland, which was his homeland, the Pope said that that too was thanks to Mary. Did y'all know that? The other, by the way, Fatima of Portugal is another uh, huge tourist site. But there are several in this country, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, I, I Googled uh, today, um, let's see, I forget what I Googled. Um, um, Googled something like this, appearances of Mary in Illinois. Because it had in Illinois in it. Um, Google that. And you will get a list of um, a retired uh, red truck driver whose name was Ray Doiron in 1993. Um, was in his bed. A lovely woman appeared to him. A, a quote, a very beautiful lady, very young and regal. She was dressed all in white, of course. Uh, felt a breeze and heard her speak. She delivered the first of many messages. Pray for peace, reject evil, welcome God. Anybody disagree with any of that? That she would continue to offer in, um, uh, that she would continue to offer in subsequent visitations, but not to his home in Renault, Illinois. He would have to go to Belleville, Illinois, at the shrine of Our Lady of the Snows, which, by the way, is 20 miles outside of St. Louis. Um, by the way, um, he Mary did tell him that she her last appearance there was, I think, going to be in 1999. Of course, the crowds were dwindling, and um, uh, then a um, but at the at the peak, they were seeing six thousand people a day. Um, she has appeared in uh, I don't know I don't know where this is, but I guess it's in New York, Queens Bayside Queens. There was an appearance in 1970. Um, in Italy, there are presently some 50 weeping Madonna statues. That is, statues of Mary that shed tears. Um, uh, there are, um, oh, uh, in, in, in the former Yugoslavia, in a, in a city by the name of, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Med, Med, Medjugorje, 
Um, six young peasants reported a visit by the Virgin. Uh, she has been delivering message to them every uh, almost nightly ever since and has to date attracted uh, no fewer than 11 million visitors to this city in the former Yugoslavia. Have you been? I certainly hope not. Let me close you. I, I got seven minutes left. Let me let me mention five quick things, and um, uh, we'll quit. Guys, in in Luke chapter one, the the um, the angel comes to Mary to tell her that she's going to bear a child, and she says in verse twenty eight, um, "Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you." Now, we Protestants, because we have a um, a phobia of Mary. Uh, I think perhaps react too much, although I don't know how it's possible. But we, we cannot forget that Mary is indeed highly favored. She is. She um, was, um, did carry a child via a, a, a virgin birth. We can't forget that she's highly favored, She's, but she is blessed um, not above women, but among women. Among all women... Mary is blessed. Yes. That's not something that any Protestant ought to be ashamed of. The text says that. But it's vital to maintain the distinction between honoring Mary and worshiping Mary. And ladies and gentlemen, there is no way to avoid the fact that some of the quotes that I read to you out of the glories of Mary are nothing more than... One of them was that the Roman Catholic Church commands... A worship of Mary. And that's why the Protestant churches, the church rises up and calls it Mariolatry. It's the idolatry of Mary. She is an honored woman among all women. Yes. But once that verges over into worship, we are into idolatry. And that, <clears throat> I fear, ladies and gentlemen, is what, um, what Mary has become. She has become a focus of not only worship, but salvation as well. And nobody can stand for that. Um, Nobody can remain silent over that. Um, Mary is not omnipresent. She is not omniscient. And so you should not direct prayer to Mary, nor should you get anywhere close to worship. But, I mean, prayer is an, an act of worship. So, you don't worship, you don't pray. You what, do you realize what would happen to me if I said this in a Roman Catholic setting? They would lynch me before I got out the door. And yet you are all sitting there thinking, how in the world... Has this been allowed to go on? I'm telling you, 1-800-345-MARY. Finally, when uh, Jesus was born, one of the stories that we all know well that swirl around the the birth of Jesus Christ was the the, the visit of three wise men. And um, it's it's 
related to you in, in Matthew's account, that whole story, you know it. But um, the three wise men brought gifts. To whom? They weren't to Mary. They were to the king of the Jews. And the, the three wise men were told, worshipped. Who did they worship? Not Mary. They worshipped this one who had been born under this star. Guys, um, it is it is worse than heresy. It's utter paganism. Our Father, I pray that if I have erred, that you would stop up the ears of your people. But if my assessments are correct, I pray that you will um, confirm that into the hearts and lives of your people so that we might be uh, more useful to you in the expansion of the kingdom, but that we might also um, be useful to you in, in a broadcast of the gospel uh, to people who are um, not aware that their church holds to some of these uh, very pagan ideas. Um, Lord, where Grace Evan is in error, would you show us that? We certainly don't have the corner on the market in truth. Where we err, would you expose us so that we might uh, repent of our sin and return to a path of righteousness? We ask all of this, of course, only in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you and good night.